Today, FBI Director Christopher Wray gaslights all of America live on television. Marjorie Taylor Greene joins the program to discuss the insane leftists who attacked her at a restaurant. And Lori Lightfoot is out as mayor of Chicago. But we've got the part of the story that nobody's talking about. We've got all of that and more coming up, and it all starts right now. Welcome to the News and Why It Matters. I am Sarah Gonzalez, and I would like to remind you, if you are watching on YouTube, on the News and Why It Matters YouTube, make sure to uh, click that like button and make sure you are subscribed and uh, throw us a comment while you're at it. Uh, defund the FBI. This is an idea that has gained a ton of traction lately, and if you're paying attention, it's not hard to understand why. The FBI, along with all of the other alphabet agencies, have increasingly become weaponized against the American people. Well, at least half of us, you know, us extremists who care about things like low taxes and not murdering the unborn, how extreme. This is an organization that performed an unprecedented raid on a former president's home, and the American public still hasn't been told what the hell was so pressing, so dangerous to our national security about the pieces of paper sitting in the back of President Trump's closet. Might I remind you, the same organization that was happy to allow Joe Biden's lawyers to leisurely thumb through Joe's files multiple times in multiple different locations before they came to offer some friendly assistance. An organization who, let's not forget, had no less than a dozen informants and two federal agents embed themselves in a group of disgruntled Michigan residents who had no intention to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer until federal agents led them into the idea, arranged the details themselves, and then later charged them and touted them as an example of the dangers of far-right extremism. An organization that refuses to answer really important questions about January 6th. How many FBI informants were involved that day? Who's Ray Epps? Why were January 6th detainees wasting away in solitary confinement while charges were dropped for Black Lives Matter protesters burning down buildings? How is it possible that you're raiding the homes and arresting pro-life activists all across the nation, but haven't made any headway into the investigation of who delivered the pipe bombs to the DNC or the RNC on the evening of January 5th? Well, FBI Director Christopher Wray sat down with Brett Bayer last night, and here is what he had to say on January 6th. Watch. Twitter questions. Ford Fisher tweets, what I'd really like to ask the FBI director, on January 5th, 2021, a still unidentified person planted pipe bombs at the DNC and RNC, which diverted law enforcement um, attention and resources on January 6th. With hundreds of other January 6th defendants arrested over two years, how has the bomber still not been caught? Does the FBI director feel confidently that they will come someday be brought to justice? Well, I will say that I have enormous confidence in the team, the dedicated team that is focused exclusively on that investigation. And we have uh, devoted loads and loads of effort into that specific investigation. We've done investigative publicity, calling for the public's help. And so our folks are working very, very hard on that investigation. And those folks, those FBI agents, analysts, and professional staff, I have total confidence in them. And the other Twitter question we get a lot is, did the FBI have undercover agents or paid informants or assets among the mob that stormed the Capitol on January 6th? Well, as I'm sure you can appreciate, Brett, I can't really appropriately talk about when, where, and how we use confidential informants. Is it classified? Well, we have information that is uh, about any number of topics that is law enforcement sensitive. Uh, but you should not read into oh. my 
inability to answer a question because of my obligations, as that is a clue or a hint in any way about how accurate your reader's um, tweet is. Oh, okay. Uh, advice to Christopher Ray: don't play poker. Because it would be a very simple answer if the answer was no. Uh, quite fascinating to hear that Christopher Ray has enormous confidence in a team that can't seem to uncover any wrongdoing unless you're a white conservative and they're walking you into it. But perhaps that's the point. Here to help me break this down and more are Alex Stein, Blaze TV host of Primetime with Alex Stein and Stu Bergier, host of Stu Does America. Um, so it wasn't just the first of all, did you guys catch this this full interview? No, I didn't watch the full thing. Okay, but you've seen all yes, of the, the, clips the clips that have come out of it. Because this course, was like yeah. a treasure trove of just <laughs> amazing statements made by this FBI director, which I would say, time to burn the whole thing down. It was already time to burn the whole thing down. Uh, but uh, sp specifically after this, this uh, interview here. So I want your thoughts on this, but I, I want to play one more clip for you on uh, these abortion clinic protests and, you know, hey, you're, you guys are raiding pro-life activists and, like, some might say that maybe you guys shouldn't be doing this type of thing. Are you weaponizing this agency against, you know, people who don't believe differently than you? And the answer was, you know, you know just epic gaslighting uh, at epic proportions. Watch. So let's talk about by the book. Mark Houck, Pennsylvania pro-life activist, arrested at his home in front of his family for an alleged violation of the Freedom of Access of Clinics Act, alleged incident which he was protesting in front of an abortion clinic. He was recently acquitted of all charges at trial. The show of force for that arrest, that decision to use that force, was that by the book? Those decisions are made as they should be by the commanders on the ground in the field office who have the expertise about when to conduct operations safely and securely for the safety of everybody involved. And to my knowledge, those processes were all followed in this case. Yeah, I mean, historically, FBI protocol is that a defendant has, if he has no criminal history, is not believed to be violent or pose a threat to public safety, that he or she is permitted to self-surrender rather than subject um, dynamic execution of an arrest warrant. And here's what I'm talking about is the dual system. You know, there's that for a pro-life activist, but not that for a Black Lives Matter protester who may be torches a federal building um, over the summer. So that disparity, that dichotomy, is what sticks in people's mind. I understand that people have their opinions. Uh, all I can tell you is that we have one standard. Mm. One standard. Uh, which is irrespective of ideology, of politics. Oh, absolutely. And we can tell. It shows, right? This was just one standard. He said it, therefore it is true. Yeah, well, I mean, it's obvious to see that the FBI has been weaponized against the people, and I think you just said it best by defunding them. They're unnecessary. I mean, we need local law enforcement. Uh, they need more support, and not this federal law enforcement that's just meant to basically be weaponized against people that don't agree with them politically, and that's really what happened here because you see Ted, Gru Ted Cruz had another heated debate talking about why are they unfairly going after pro-lifers? What is mm -hmm. so threatening about somebody that wants to save a baby's life? It doesn't make sense.
Yeah, saving babies' lives yeah. is very extreme. They well, they could live if they don't do this important work. <laughs> oh, I mean, don't get crazy, What, do you want babies too? to be alive? No. I mean, that's uh, it's crazy. Uh, you know, the, the Hulk thing is really, really disturbing. You know, this is a person who did nothing wrong, really, anyway. He was cleared of local charges. I mean, the, the, the local police who, if there was anyone who's going to be involved in this mm-hmm. at all, yeah. looked at this and said, okay, yeah, and there's nothing here. And then somehow, mysteriously, we still don't know the path of how this information got so high into our government. This local guy who, who seemingly pushed, I mean, it's on camera now, we know, yeah. pushed another person one time, yeah. Because he was defending his kid, who was being, you know, getting, uh, you know, uh, assaulted verbally. Uh, I mean, that's not a federal case. I mean, that's kind of a, a cliche, like you joke. Oh, this shouldn't be a federal case. It shouldn't be a federal case here. Not to mention, his attorneys emailed uh, the FBI and said, "Hey, guys, we're happy to turn ourselves in. No need to make a, a big deal out of this." And they went and raided him anyway. You know, the, the FBI. It's interesting. I mean. I think you can find things that, that there is some use for in federal law enforcement. Um, but, like, at this point, with the, with the organization being run so terribly for such a long time, you just think that you could take, take this, strip away 80% of what they do, take the 20% that's important, and divide that up into other agencies, and you're probably going to be absolutely fine. Um, you know, you wonder why Chris Ray would even do this interview if this is how he's going to answer these questions. Right. He's got to know all this stuff is coming. He's, he's going on Fox News, and I'm glad Brett Baer asked him some yeah. tough questions. But, like, he had to be prepared for this, and his answers are so terrible here. There's blatantly a double standard. Um, they're obviously not going to be forthcoming with this information that you know about January 6th, which, like, if you're not going to answer that question, you just say no to the interview. That's right. all. Yeah. You know, right. I mean, if, if you can't go on there and answer questions honestly and forthrightly, then just don't do interviews, and everyone will continue to speculate like we have been doing the past couple of years. Seems like a mistake from beginning to end, which is starting to seem like what the FBI is. Well, and, the, and let's also not forget, though, in Loudoun County at their school board, which is right outside of Washington, D.C., and Virginia has become this hot you know, bed of basically parents complaining about the gender ideology and the fact that there's trans people getting assaulted in bathrooms and they're not being transparent on what happened. And the FBI was literally, they were told to look into parents that were speaking out against what is happening at their school district. So if we're gonna use the FBI to be weaponized against parents that are actually, that care about their kids, we have no need for them. Well, there, there was another moment that I, I wanna play. I know we don't have too much time here, but I think it, it is really important to play just to, to Stu's point. like. This is a really bad, it would have been a better look for you if you just wouldn't have done the interview because this is a really, really bad look for you. He was talking about uh, the Twitter files because Brett Bayer is like, well, what about the FBI working with social media to censor Americans? Like, that's kind of a big deal. And he's like, we didn't do that. We just politely suggested that one. <laughs> Let's talk about the FBI and what you told Big Tech or some agents did about the authenticity and providence of Hunter Biden's laptop. What about that from an FBI perspective? The FBI does not and is not in the business of functioning as the truth police. Understood. We don't tell social media companies to censor anything. Well, or the Twitter file suggests something different. I mean, there was an FBI request numerous times. Um, Taibbi puts it out, FBI San Francisco request to ban certain accounts. Uh, Twitter personnel in this case went on to look for reasons to suspend all four accounts that the FBI wanted to Oopsies. ban or, or suspend. Um, was it, is it appropriate to flag social media accounts for on Twitter or elsewhere due to politics or uh, government policies when it comes to COVID? Uh, 
is it appropriate in any way? You're saying it doesn't happen, but there's evidence that it had. We don't tell social media companies to ban accounts. But you suggest. It's just it's just a fr- it's just a polite <laughs> suggestion, Stu, to yeah. your point. Yeah, um, I I honestly think this should be illegal. Um, you know, there's not a law against the FBI writing an email to a, a private company and saying, hey, we think you should do this. I think Congress, the FBI, any government agency, this should honestly just be flat out illegal. We should pass a law that says you can't have a suggestion from the government, from a high-ranking uh, you know, government cabinet official, saying, hey, we think you should do this, because of course people are going to do it. You know, I mean, there are some companies who will be like, I'm taking a stand, I'm not participating. But generally speaking, people are going to be terrified for their own livelihoods and their own companies, and they're just going to go along with it. Now, if, if the... You know, if the FBI wants to say, hey, we're concerned about, you know, Russian influence on elections and they want to release a statement that says companies should be looking for this stuff, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's totally fine. Something public that we right. can all see. Right. But the fact that they go behind the scenes to ban individual American citizens Twitter accounts, it should be completely uh, off the board. It should not be an option. Uh, the same thing happens, I think, in financial institutions where they'll, they'll go and they'll say, hey, you know, these little like nudges. Hey, we think this might be happening. You should look for this. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. That can't be the business of the government. The government, you can pass laws. You can enforce those laws. You can make recommendations mm-hmm. to the public. But those need to be to the public, not in back channels and little games. So later on, you could say, oh, well, we, ne- we didn't actually force them to do it. Everyone knows what that means. Any person who works at Twitter who gets an email from the FBI <laughs> saying ban these accounts is going to ban these accounts. Yeah. Understandably so. Right. It right. shouldn't even, they, if that, that's the type of thing that should just be straight out illegal. And anyone who does it should be punished by a significant penalty. Yeah, Alex, I'm going to give you last word. Well, I'm saying any corporation that, you know, for the FBI tells you to delete something, you're going to delete it. But this is the biggest red flag for me is why, I looked at those Twitter accounts, I don't know if they're that big of how many followers they have, but why would the FBI ever be threatened by somebody on Twitter? Mm -hmm. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. unreal. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the government isn't very transparent with us. (laughs) And they're scared of transparency. Source? What's your source on that? (laughs) Because I've never seen any evidence. Uh, one of those Twitter accounts. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got to take a quick break. First, I want to thank our sponsor, Birch Gold. So uh, I don't know if you realize this. The country blew through the $31.4 trillion debt ceiling in January. And um, this, there's actually no uh, good news in sight because the leftist White House still refuses to reduce spending. Uh, they got their heads buried in the sand when it comes to fiscal responsibility. But you don't have to have yours. Now would be a great time to diversify into gold with Birch Gold in times of high uncertainty and instability. Gold is king. It's dependable. Birch Gold is going to make it very easy for you to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA with precious metals. All you have to do is text the word Y to 989898. They're going to send you a free information kit on gold, and you can then talk to, if you want, one of their precious metal specialists. So I look, this is, I am not a financial advisor. What I can tell you is, in my own personal life, we are heavily diversifying into gold and silver. I highly suggest that you at least look into it because otherwise you're just going to watch your retirement account just go down and down and down and down. That's your money. Don't lose it if you don't have to. You can go to uh, text the word Y to 989898. That is the word Y to 989898. saw a rather alarming tweet earlier this week from Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, who uh, wrote, here it is, we, where is it? 
Where it is, I was attacked in a restaurant tonight by an insane woman and screamed at by her adult son. They had no respect for the restaurant or the staff or the other people dining or people like me who simply have different political views. They are self-righteous, insane, and completely out of control. I was sitting at my table working with my staff and never even noticed these people until they turned into demons. <laughs> they do tend to do that. Uh, people used to respect others even if they had different views, but not anymore. Our country is gone. I have some questions because, yikes, I've seen that come out of the left as well. Uh, so joining us now is the Congresswoman herself to discuss what happened. Congresswoman, thank you so much for joining us. And I want to tell you, uh, your good friend Alex Stein is here is here with us. So. Hey, Queen. <laughs> Love you, Marjorie. Um, so so tell me, tell us what happened, because I, I mean, I know you're you're saying they're screaming at you. They they obviously come up to your table. They're screaming at you. What are what are they saying to you? Like, what is what is their message while they're turning into demons and screaming at you? <laughs> well, so we were just having dinner uh, myself, along with two members of my staff. We were actually uh, preparing for the the covid select subcommittee hearing that we just had, um, and it was the following day. Uh, we had papers all over the table. I mean, it was very much a work dinner uh, in, in a nice restaurant here in Washington, D.C., and we hadn't been paying attention to the people around us, but apparently this party had finished their dinner, um, and as they were leaving, they decided that was their time to shine, I guess, so to speak. So the woman in their party came over to my table, and just basically started calling me all kinds of names. Uh, but she approached and stood very close to me, standing over me at my table as she was saying all these terrible things to me. Um, and then the other uh, couple of people in her party, uh, one of them was screaming at the top of his lungs, F you Marjorie, over and over and over again inside the restaurant. And the reason why I say is they turn into demons is because they go from being normal people sitting there having dinner and then they see a Republican like me um, that they hate, uh, that they don't agree with our, my policies, my views, my, my um, uh, willingness to protect kids from uh, gender reassignment surgeries, to have strong borders, to support the police, to reduce crime, um, to reduce government spending because our federal government is out of control, uh, to stop a war in Ukraine because it makes no sense whatsoever. And because I believe in those policies, they think they have the right to verbally attack. Um, and sometimes these people physically attack, uh, but that's what they think they have the right to do. And, and Sarah, here is why. It's because Hillary Clinton years ago labeled all of us deplorables. Mm -hmm. And that that in their minds was saying, look, these people are second class citizens. And then people like Maxine Waller, Maxine Waters basically gave a dog whistle to everyone on the left and commanded people. When you see them, you go out and you make a crowd and you go after them and you tell them and you harass them. So this comes from the basically the generals of the Democrat Party, it comes from the top, and they command their people to, to attack us in public. Mm -hmm. And it's not just elected members of Congress like me, but we saw it over and over during the Trump administration. Regular people, um, if they were wearing a red MAGA hat, they were harassed in restaurants and public all over the place. And I'm fed up with it. Um, it's totally wrong, it's out of control, but I don't think they're ever going to stop. 
Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you uh, there. And I want to I want to bring up another one of your your recent tweets that I, th I feel like you got a lot of fake outrage over, which was this seems like a good example of the point you were making with your national divorce tweet when you said we need a national divorce. We need to separate by red states and blue states and shrink the federal government. Everyone I talk to says this from the sick and disgusting woke culture shoved culture issues shoved down our throats to the Democrats, traitorous America last policies. We are done. Now, you got a lot of. As I, as I said, I'd like to say it's fake outrage from the left over this, oh, she's calling for civil war, oh, she's... A but I'd I would just like to bring up, one of their own actually said this, I wanna get, I wanna get your reaction to this, uh, Congresswoman. One of their own actually said this like two years ago, back in 2021, I wanna play for you the comments that Sarah Silverman made on her podcast, watch. I mean, this may be a negative thought, but, or maybe a positive one, I don't know, but if people aren't getting along, uh, like in relationship, they break up, you know? So like, why don't we just finally just realize that this, these states aren't working and like divide up into like two or three countries of like USA one and USA two. Strange, I don't seem to recall the outrage when it comes from one of their own, Congresswoman, your thoughts. Oh yeah, well, we're used to them being hypocrites, aren't we, Sarah? Um, no, actually, national divorce is extremely popular on both sides of the aisle, and many different polls have shown that. This is what normal people um, every single day say. Uh, they're sick and we're sick and tired of each other. You know, um, for those of us on the right, we don't want men dressed in drag, gyrating in front of our kids in school and out in, in parades and, and in the public square. We, do, we don't want that at all, and we don't want our kids told that there's more than uh, two genders and you can be whatever you want if you have surgery and, and cut off your body parts. We think that's sick and disgusting. We think it's evil. Um, we, we want to support our police to stop crime. We want secure borders. We don't want an invasion of people from all over the world and drugs and, and God knows what else. Um, but we, and we feel that way. But the left totally disagrees and they're, they're like bullies. Mm -hmm. And I've called them communists over and over because they have no respect for us. You know, the left, they, they want to have their policies in their way, but so do their people. They vote for it. I mean, look at California, look at New York, look at some of these states. So it's not wrong to propose to reduce the size and the power and the control of the federal government and give more power and control to the states to have their own identities um, so that strong red Republican states like Florida, um, Texas, Tennessee, you know, Georgia, different states, that if they want to be as red and strong Republican as possible, they should be able to do it and they should be able to tell Democrats to leave us alone. We refuse to go along with your woke ideology. Blue states, listen, if they want to have um, abolished the police and have no police, but they have social workers, if they want to have gender transition schools starting at kindergarten, if they want to have wide open borders, if they want to sell out to, to China, which California basically already has, but if they want to have that, then fine, let them have it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's kind of where we are, but the division among people, listen, here's the thing. I don't want a civil war. I, not at all. And, and I, I know pretty much everyone I know doesn't want a civil war, but I think maybe it's coming to the point is the way to avoid civil war is to reduce the power and control of the federal government 
and give more power to the states, um, return our military to what it is supposed to do, and that is to defend America's national security and defend our borders, mm-hmm. um, but not fight wars all over the world. We need we need our military to have interest in our country, uh, especially because they're funded by our tax dollars. Um, I think these are common sense ideas, and hopefully it can help Americans to stop fighting with one another. Yeah, I uh, I totally agree. So I want to, before before we let you go, I want to ask you um, about the comments that Christopher Ray, FBI Director Christopher Ray, made uh, last night with his interview with Brett Bayer. Now, you are like the person that I think of when I think of who in Congress is at the forefront of making sure that we don't forget all of these January 6th prisoners, uh, political prisoners, it's you. So I want to get your take on uh, Chris Ray, who I, I don't know if you had a chance to, to watch it yet, but I'll paraphrase it for you. So he was asked about January 5th and January 6th. We still don't know, don't have any information on the pipe bombers. And uh, January 6th, you guys can't answer the question. It seems like you can't answer the question. Did the FBI use paid informants on January 6th? And Chris Ray was like, Look, I can't talk about whether we used FBI informants, not because you you don't read anything into that answer. It's just that I just can't talk about it. So I can't tell you yes or no. But it feels like if the answer were no, we didn't use any on this specific occasion, he could just say that. Am I missing something? No, no. As a matter of fact, Sarah, you're really smart. If he's not saying no, then it's easy, easy to assume that they were. Um, because if they weren't, then he would have said no. And the, these are the questions that Republicans want to know. And these are the questions that Republicans need to find the answers to. Because what happened on January 6th, um, there, there's, there's too much there. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't a planned insurrection. That's not what happened. And no one can deny what we, we have all seen from people like Ray Epps and, and the guy, uh, so-called scaffold commander, that no one is able to identify, um, but yet they're able to find these MAGA grandmas all over the country and throw them into jail. But it's it's outrageous. And the double standard and the two-tier justice system in this country from the FBI and the Department of Justice is sickening. Mm-hmm. And that's when I say reign in the federal government um, within the parameters of a national divorce, that's part of what I'm talking about. Uh, we need to reign in these out-of-control uh, very powerful parts of our federal government that have been weaponized against conservative Americans all over our country. Um, you know, it's it's gotten to a point where we don't trust our government. People just can't trust the government because they use these these very powerful forces as political weaponry. And that's what they've done on January 6th. And the pipe bomber, let's be real, there's videos of this person. There's there's all kinds of information down to what kind of shoes they had on, but yet they somehow can't find this person. Um, and that that's outrageous. It, it makes a lot of people question, was was that a setup? And, and what did it even mean? Um, the videotapes, though, are going to be released. And and everybody, if everybody can please have a little patience, mm-hmm. it's a process that the conference is working through. The speaker's office, they are working through a process for the public to be able to see and, and other press to be able to see um, these videotapes. But there's 41,000 hours of videotapes between January 5th and January 6th. Um, we have to do a good job 
with the release of, of portions of those videotapes from January 6th, because we can't give away the national security and, you know, we have to protect our capital. But you know what? The Democrats didn't do that on the January 6th committee. They released mm -hmm. video footage of Kevin McCarthy being taken out um, through through areas where that should have never been seen. That should have that information should have been kept secret. They released video footage of Mike Pence, Vice President Mike Pence, being taken out, and that should have been kept secret too, because there's certain escape routes that need to be protected and kept secret, um, simply for reasons everyone can understand. That's our national security. Um, but yet they were able to show Nancy Pelosi, uh, her daughter filming a documentary wherever they wanted to go. So the Democrats on the January 6th committee had no interest in protecting our national security and, and the private information um, and tunnels and places in the Capitol, which is important to protect. But Republicans in charge now are working through a process where we can make the very important information on January 6th, which is where the riot occurred and where um, all of this for all of these video scenes that are needed for, for different January 6th defendants cases, uh, we want that to be available. So we're working through that process. I know there's been a lot of uproar back and forth about it, but it's something that I think is extremely important. And then let me add on one more thing I want you all to know is we are going to be doing an investigation and a hearing uh, through the oversight committee on the DC jail because mm. the human rights abuses from the DC jail are horrific. And I think it's imperative that we dig into that jail and expose exactly what they've done to these pre-trial January 6th defendants. Um, and it should have never happened. They're political prisoners. Yeah, you you are, again, right on the mark. And we appreciate you doing that because I, I agree, these jails are, are just horrific. The stories that we've been hearing are just horrific. And uh, we appreciate the transparency that you are bringing, Congresswoman. You are the left's number one enemy. That <laughs> That is how you know you are over the target and we appreciate all that you do. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thanks so much, Sarah. Bye, Alex. Bye. See ya. Um, all right. So want to thank our quick uh, thank our sponsor before we go to a quick break. This is Scoremaster. So charging higher interest is how banks make more money and they take a lot more of your hard earned money if your credit score is eh, just OK, but not great. Scoremaster is the new science in accelerating credit scores, puts your money, puts you in control of your money, not the bank. So say your credit is 650 and you're borrowing 500 grand to refinance your home. Starting at Scoremaster could save you over 75 grand in interest over the life of your loan or more. That's a lot of money. $75,000 is a lot of money. That's your money, not the bank's. That's the genius behind the Scoremaster three-week rule, especially now with soaring interest rates. It only takes a minute to get started, and you can add 30 to 100 points in about three weeks, depending on your credit file. So before you apply, if you've got any loan, auto lease, or credit, start at Scoremaster. You can go to scoremaster.com slash news to try Scoremaster for free. There's no reason not to do that. It is scoremaster.com slash news. Lori Lightfoot is out as mayor of Chicago as uh, two other people will head into a runoff on April 4th. This is Paul Vallis and Brandon Johnson. Um, and, you know, Lori Lightfoot, right? she, look, she checked all the boxes. She was clearly qualified because she was the first uh, black woman and openly gay woman to be elected as mayor of Chicago. All those things, very important, clearly. Um, but I, I want to get your, your take on this, guys, because... I looked at this and I saw a lot of people going, 
is Chicago waking up? Is, does Chicago finally realize that these leftist policies that they have been implementing for so long just don't work? Well, let's look at the two men who are in the runoff together. So let me show you, uh, let me show you Paul Vallis first. So you go, oh, let's look at Paul's plan for Chicago. Education, he thinks all families will have access to quality education options regardless of income or zip code. That sounds a whole lot like school choice. Uh, crime and safety, he's very, very big into uh, reducing crime and making sure that the residents feel safe. And he's going to balance the budget. That sounds like good, right? Well, if you go back on his website, he does also talk about reproductive rights and, uh, you know, things that make you go, oh, okay. But Johnson, Johnson is who I want to focus on as well because he's the other guy in the runoff. Uh, on his website, he touts his platform is reproductive rights, abortion as health care, LGBTQ rights, uh, because anti-LGBTQ legislation and hate crimes are sweeping the nation, public safety and police reform, gender equity, disability justice. Approximately 10% of Chicagoans identify as a person with a disability, and I guess they need justice. Oh, the language. They identify as a person with are a disability. Are they a person with a disability, are you, or are, are they you? identifying? Who are you to judge, Stu? I, apparently the wrong person. <laughs> uh, I am a person that identifies as having a disability. That's because so, you do have disability. Yeah, well, that is true, but uh, let's, let's be a little fair to the 10% of us. But I'm like, this guy is, the, is just as woke as Lori Lightfoot. I'm not sure that Chicago has learned their lesson here. Uh, no, they haven't learned their lesson <laughs> at all. I mean, first of all, this is one of those primaries where you have nine people in it and the top two go to a right. runoff. So yeah. Lori Lightfoot wound up f finishing third. So we don't know who the winner is going to be yet, but we have these two going at each other. And, you know, um, the, the second place guy, uh, the progressive you were just discussing, he, uh, he is just as terrible policy-wise as Lori Lightfoot. Yeah. Like, I mean, they, they, the, the, it wasn't that Chicagoans rejected all progressive policies. The, the problem with Lightfoot is she's both really, really progressive and really, really incompetent, mm -hmm. right? Like, were, they, were this, is Johnson is his last name? I yes. Can't, yes. Johnson is an unknown as far as his competence, right? It's a roll of the dice. He mm -hmm. could be, maybe he's a competent progressive, whatever that is, if there's one that exists. <laughs> um, I think the other, Vallis is interesting because he, uh, while he is not someone that any of us would want in charge of, let's say, our hometowns or governor of the state of Texas, really, really bad. Right. Uh, as comparison, as a comparison to Chicago, though, he's about yeah. as good as you could hope for I think, in Chicago. I agree. He actually does seem to take um, uh, crime seriously. Mm -hmm. He says he, it's his top priority. Uh, he's been pretty consistent on that. He's been pretty good on educational policies over yeah. the years as well. He favors charter schools. He's one of those guys. He's gone around the country and helped uh, heal some of these inner city schools. But you, uh, but uh, you say that. I mean, that's a big deal considering his background was the head of Chicago Public Schools. Yeah, yeah. So he, so he's alienating what could be a big block of his voters, which yeah. is teachers' unions. Yeah, and I think this is a big message. You know, Chicago. Look, he may not win, so you know we may be premature here. But it's a similar message to what to what New York did with Eric Adams. And Eric mm -hmm. Adams isn't a good mayor. He's not, he's not anyone I would want anywhere near control of a city I lived in. But he's definitely better than Bill de Blasio. Right. And there's this reaction, this guttural reaction, I think, even from 
uh, for people who consider themselves progressive and might talk a good progressive game on reproductive rights and trans rights and all these other things that don't actually affect them on a day-to-day basis, right. where they where this rubber hits the road is when they go to the store and they get shot. When they go to the, when they go to the store and their car gets broken into, when their favorite uh, bakery burns down for no apparent reason, uh, that's unrelated to the cupcakes in the oven. This is something where like the, people have this guttural reaction. They say, "I don't, I, I know I'm liberal. I know all that, but defund the police is way too far for us." Mm-hmm. And I think there is a legitimate piece of the left that looks at this in a moderately sane way. We're never going to get them on other important issues, but like if you can make a city livable. You know, it's right. kind of the Giuliani approach. He, he was a Republican at the time, but at least, like, he came in and said, look, he was still liberal on a lot of social policy, but he came in and he said, look, I'm going to stop these terrible things that are happening to you on a daily basis. And sometimes that's better than nothing. Yeah, I feel like they're basically to the point where they're like, we'll still be woke as long as we're safe. Mm. Yeah, I mean, people don't even want that. And, and you can fact check this. In Illinois, there's over 55 elementary schools where zero students showed proficiency in math or English. And 19 of those alone were in Chicago. And if I look at Paul Vallis, and I don't really know the other candidate that well, I don't have any trust in that school district. So the fact that he ran the Chicago school district, I mean, maybe he is, uh, you know, okay to do this job because he ran that. I mean, I know I'm sure that was very <coughs> difficult to run an entire school district, but I have no faith in Chicago. I, I would, if I was a Chicago citizen, I would sadly probably be moving because it was once a great city, but now because there's no guns there and the bail reform where people, criminals can go there if they get arrested, the same form to get a, a, uh, a public defender is the same form that you can sign to get a release on own recognizant bail bond. So these criminals know that they can go there, commit crime and get out of jail. So the problem is a lot more than just one Paul Vallis or one no-name politician. Well, I want to read you one quote from Paul Vallis's website because he it said like you guys are giving some you and Paul Vallis are sounding very similar here. He said uh, the money needs to follow the kids into the classroom right now. Only 60 percent of funds reach the classroom. Uh, and then he mentions uh, Illinois State Board of Education testing data reflected 80 percent of CPS students reading below grade level and less than 15 percent meeting grade proficiency standards. The data for the most disadvantaged and at risk students is even worse. This begs the question, what is CPS doing with all the money? That's a pretty strong stance coming out, you know, against the the, the school system. No, I, I'm I'm supporting Paul Vallis as of now, but I just don't think he'll be <laughs> yeah. the panacea that solves it all. No, yeah, there, no. there were no good options in this election. I mean, it's one of those things where, like, if you're sane, you moved out of Chicago a long time ago, and I don't think Paul Vallis is enough to get you to move back. Yeah. However, right. if you're stuck there, right, I think he's a better option, and and at least like he's at least prioritizing, I think, the right things. He, you know, he said he wants to make Chicago the safest city in America, which would, at first I was like, that's impossible. Um, but <laughs> yeah. then I thought, you know, the other cities are getting really crappy really fast, so maybe they'll just pass Chicago if they can just stay around neutral. We'll see. I, I know. It's a, it's a heavy lift. I was talking to my producer uh, about this when he said, you know, it, we're going we're gonna to make it the safest city, and I was like, ah, I feel like if you it's just said, promise. like, we're going to make it, like, safe-ish, yeah. people will be like, oh, thank God. How about, like, the third most dangerous? How about <laughs> shoot for that first? <laughs> just right. go the right direction right. first. Right. All right, we got to take a quick break. We'll be back. Yeah, I didn't want to bring it up, but what about that video? Bipartisan group, I don't get to say that very often, bipartisan group of congressional representatives voted yesterday to require the White House to rein in their spending. Uh, The bill will require President Biden to assess inflationary effects before signing executive orders. And uh, this is, look, they're... 
I mean, it's just that they, we have the highest inflation level seen in decades. So I'm glad that there was a little bipartisanship. It was a 272 to 148 vote. So like not that much bipartisanship. But um, so under the bill, any executive order that has an annual budgetary effect of a billion dollars or more would have to be first studied by the administration for its possible inflationary effects on the economy. Um, this kind of goes in line with another story I saw today, which was there, there was a report that there are like a bunch of Democrats in Congress right now who are secretly like, we got to get Biden out of here. But they'll never go on the record and say that. Well, I think that's kind of obvious. Obviously, that's why there's these documents, they keep on finding classified documents of Biden. So I think that's probably uh, an excuse to get him out. And that's why we have a perfect candidate now that Lori Lightfoot doesn't have a job. I mean, <laughs> 2024 is a year of Lightfoot. So they know, they know they have the next best candidate coming up. What is her what is her motto? If you liked what I did for Chicago. <laughs> turning America turning America into one giant Chicago. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. that's 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 wait until you see what I do with the country. I mean, look, she has no chance to become president unless she identifies as trans. If she comes yeah, out and she would have a trans, chance. She needs an true. additional intersectional value here <laughs> that's somehow. True. That uh, is true. So let's see. I think that's that's a good pick. She'd be a good VP for somebody. And I know we keep on talking about Lori Lightfoot. She's not even the subject of it, but she claimed that racism, being a black woman, was the reason why she lost. But she's married to a white woman. I'm saying, so how could she be racist? How can the world be so racist in her own wife? Yeah, how did white. she win last time? I, I don't know. None of this black. makes sense. How did they ever like her? Sense. I mean, also, like one of the guys who got more than her, her was, black. was a black guy. Yeah, uh, the other guy's Greek. The whole so. thing it's all racist. But they're but they're not a female. She has the the struggle of being a female, yeah. but she looks like a male. So I feel like she she looks like a people Muppet call me, me white yeah. passing. I feel like she's male passing. So I don't think she gets to call the female card. Yeah, no, I, that's uh, that's a good point. I, I I find she looks more like a fictional character to me. She doesn't look like a person. Can she, I? Is that weird? Can, this, can I tell you what Chad Prather oh. calls her? Oh no, yes, Beetlejuice. Butthole eyes. Oh, yeah, she's had the butthole eyes. Mm. Pete Davidson has those same eyes. Now, I'm going to miss Lorelai, <laughs> but I'm going to, I just, I hate to see her go. But I think this sets her up for more accessibility, so I could probably troll her in the future. So I like that. Oh. Yeah, because now she's a public citizen. I'm sure she's going to have to go do stuff to keep her public, you know, uh, you know, stay in the public eye. So I'm guessing a, there'll be more opportunities for me. Private citizen, yeah. You know, now that she's a private citizen, yeah. she still wants the cachet of being Lori Life. Yeah, I don't know uh, that uh, the demand is going to be <laughs> really high for that. I don't I mean, for me, I'm in, I'm in the Lori Lightfoot business now. I'm freaking investing. Yeah, I'm going to Chicago. You're not the attention that she wants, <laughs> I Alex. I know. That is exactly correct. She does All not right. want my attention. All right. Let's, um, let's take another quick break. We'll be right back. Joe Biden was speaking about health care policy in Virginia Beach when uh, he told quite the interesting story, lots of very interesting twists and turns that I have some <laughs> questions on uh, about a nurse that he said was named Pearl Nelson. Watch. Named Pearl Nelson, military. She'd come in and do things that I don't think you'll learn in medical school, uh, nursing school. Uh, she'd whisper Wait, in my ear. I didn't, couldn't understand him. She'd whisper, she'd lean down. He'd actually breathe on me to make sure that I was a, there was a connection, a human connection. She even went home and brought back her pillow. Guys, <laughs> I have so many questions after hearing this. Uh, Someone pointed out on, on, on Twitter, they're like, he's actually told the story before. I'm like, I, that doesn't make it any better to me. 
still have questions about good old Pearl. Like, the best thing about this president, and there's not a lot to celebrate, <laughs> but the best thing is him reminiscing about his early years. I freaking love it. I love yeah. the corn pop story. Mm-hmm. I love the kids under the pool playing with his leg hair story. I love the Pearl Nelson story. They're all fantastic, and he needs. we need more of that from Joe Biden. Really? But, yes. but, you, but you love them coming from the president of the United States. Oh, good God, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. I had to say, like father, like son, I believe that Joe Biden is a very, you know, honorable and that he probably was with a lot of nurses, to be honest. And that's something that we really shouldn't look or frown upon, that he was a very handsome young man. And, you know, there was a time before Jill when he lost his wife, where I'm sure he had a lot of fun with, what was her name? Pearl? Pearl, Pearl. Nelson. God bless you, Pearl. If you're watching the show, you know, call me because I need to find out where that hospital is and start getting some service there, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Can you even say that word on this I, show? I, I don't even know. I don't know. You have a swear jar. Does he have yeah. your money? I think yes. it's service. I think you can say that. Listen, there's a, the naughty nurse theme is one of the best themes on the internet. Yeah. If you Google that. But don't Google that. Do Please not listen don't. to me. But do, do not. It's a very popular genre for, Kids, whatever, for what it's that. worth. Don't Google it. Do, don't. I don't know how I keep having this man on my program. <laughs> this might be the last time. It so might be. Record Thanks, this. <laughs> Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.